0: In the immediate of the present, we sometimes struggle to see beyond our own horizon. Our view is limited to the here and now, but God has gifted us with another perspective, imagination. God called Abraham out of his land in order to expand the boundaries of his thinking and enable him to see greater possibilities than he could ever imagine. Out of his offspring would come a generation as numerous as the stars in the sky a people called by God from whom would come a light for all mankind. Without faith, Abraham would never have been able to trust God. Without imagination, he would never have been able to see beyond the horizon. If we have the faith to trust him and the imagination to see beyond here and now, God is capable of doing immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine.
1: You want to hear something crazy? Uh, That film was created in-house by our artists here at 360. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) Uh, Filmmakers and narrators and our our, um, artist, painter, Jacob Nagel. Thank you, Jacob. It was beautiful, uh, unbelievable painting. I look at that painting I hear this uh, hear this uh, th- these guys pour out their hearts about breakthrough, and I tell you i am i reengage in the possibilities of the mind that God has given to us. you know when we we think about the brain, we all know that we're only using a fraction of it, some of us more than others are using a lesser part of it than <laughs> than many, but we all know that the brain has an amazing capacity, and layers of capacity, layers of operational functions to be able to memorize, to be able to analyze, to be able to compare, to be able to send signals to our body of pain or our pleasure, to, to remember long-distance things, to envision, and, and all these things that God has given to us. And I'm reminded that Jesus said, "'Love the Lord your God with all your mind.'" He also asks us, of course, to love with all our heart, our soul, our strength. But I want to focus on our mind in this this conversation because the mind is a terrible thing to waste, is it not? But it's also a terrible thing to waste for the kingdom because I believe that in all those things, the capacity is of our mind that God has truly created us to have, that the, the dangerous thing is that the mind can be used, as we all know, for good and for bad. Those things that, that, that God has created and designed the mind to do can be used for the purposes of God or against the purposes of God, against the design of God. One of those capacities of the brain is not only memorizing and analyzing and all the things I mentioned, but imagination is a gift from God. And like the other capacities of the brain, we also can use that for good or for bad, For evil especially imagination, because imagination is so private, is it not? And the Bible warns at, at times against the, the wrong use of imagination and letting our minds travel to places that, that it should not travel, that we are to bring capt- captive those thoughts, those imaginative thoughts that are not in alignment with God. But imagination is not a, a, not a bad word. And fortunately in the church, there's too much of don't do this and don't do that. But the capacities that God gives to us, if we were to only use them for his glory, there truly is no end to what God can do. And for that reason, we're going to have a series of conversations about using the imagination and imagining more than we can ever hope for, for the glory of God, for the purposes of God, to accomplish kingdom things and allow us to love the Lord our God not with just some of our mind but with all of our mind. So I thought it would be appropriate for us to begin with a definition of imagination to kind of set the framework. Here's here's the Webster's definition of imagination. It is the faculty or action of forming new ideas or images or concepts of external objects not present to the senses. Okay you almost have to read that like four or five times to engage your mind in order to understand it. But what is being said is in a nutshell is that there are things beyond the senses of what we can actually see with our physical eye and hear with our ears and, and touch and feel and all those things and go beyond that. Imagination goes beyond the present external senses that we are experiencing at the moment and it and it travels beyond that. This is a risky conversation, to be honest with you, because it can be taken in many different ways. It also We're also reminded that the Christian faith is founded on facts, both historical and scientific facts. There are scholars, especially in the last two or three generations, who have spent much time studying as apologists, as theologians, as scholars, the historical and scientific evidence that that undergirds and supports our faith. You see, the resurrection is not just a concept. The the resurrection, if you read the letters of Paul, which were publicly displayed in his lifetime, when he said that Christ appeared to more than 500 men at the same time, many of whom Paul wrote, many of whom were still alive, what Paul is saying is that there is evidence and historical uh, founding for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was not just a, just some remote thing with just a, a, a one person seeing Christ at a time, something like you know Bigfoot or something like that, but 500 people in the same room at the same time who were alive at the same time. Paul wrote the letter who could have publicly refuted the facts of seeing Jesus alive for about a month and a half, and no one came forth to refute. That is called historical evidence. There's plenty of uh, evidence that that supports uh, who we are as Christians and what we believe. However, our relationship with God and our spiritual life is not just founded on facts. It is also a faith-based relationship. What I mean by that is God calls us to believe and to see things that cannot be proven through science or history because we are dealing with a supernatural world and not just a provable natural world. And so when we look at the, the scriptures, we see then that we're called to use our minds in this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, 2 Corinthians 4, 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In other words, God's saying, hey, don't stick yourself in a box and believe that our spiritual life is only of those things that you can see with your physical eyes. Let me give you some examples. God evokes our imagination in things that are past, things that are present, things that are future. Let me give you an idea. We all know that God created the the heavens and the earth in six days. Some people believe that, some others don't. I personally believe that in a literal six-day creation, uh, that was a reality. But even though I believe that story, I'm evoked, my imagination is evoked of how that actually happened. When when God said, let there be light, if we could take a screenshot of every person's mind, when I say those words, let there be light, and you think of, man, what did that look like? I bet you our screenshots would look different from one another because each of us perhaps are picturing that differently internally. In other words, even though that was a historical reality, it still evokes our imagination, if you're not a believer yet, then let me tell you what would you think if I said you were going to go down to the 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 Gulf here, and you were going to walk out, and let's say about a half a mile. You mean like walk through the water? No, I'm saying, what if God split that water and he created walls of water? Does that evoke your imagination? This is exactly what happened at the Red Sea. And yet when we look in the past and we say, how did that happen? We have to engage our imaginations of what a wall of water would actually look like. This is no different than the Son of Man becoming a child inside the womb of a woman. It, it, it causes us, it requires us to use our mind in a picturing-type way of seeing what is unseen, or a dead man coming back from the grave. That's also not true just for past things, it's true for present things. I was just reading the other day, I do a one-year Bible reading plan, and I was in Exodus 19 where God was telling Moses, I will lift you up as, as on wings of eagles. Like, are you talking about like a real eagle, like, you know, in the Hobbit movie or something like that? Of course not. God is saying, let me give you an imagery Let me give you a symbolically, it's like I'm lifting you on eagle's wings, not a literal eagle, but I'm going to evoke your imagination. Revelation chapter 2, Jesus Christ is referred to as the bright and morning star. You mean like a real star? No, not like a real star. He is the bright and morning star. And if you want your mind blown and your imagination evoked, I challenge you to read the book of Revelation this afternoon. Because the writer, the Apostle John, kept saying over and over, I saw something that was like. He didn't even know how to describe it himself. It was so mind blowing. And I think about the future of what's happening that Jesus right now is building a house. He says, In my Father's house, there are many rooms. Is your imagination going now? Is your room 2,000 square feet or 200,000 square feet? Is it tile, carpet, or gold? A lot of our imaginations go forward. How about this one? Try this on for size. How many of these people, raise your hand proudly and boldly, how many in in this room believe that Jesus is coming back? How many, keep them up high and proud. How many of you know exactly how that's going to look? When Christ comes on the clouds, when the trumpets are blaring, when there's an army of angels and soldiers with Christ, And the whole earth will be shattering, and that people of God will be shouting. And God says, I want to evoke your minds. Don't put me in a box, God said. I want you to imagine. I want you to hope. I want you to anticipate. And I'm telling you, there's rarely a day that goes by that I look in the sky and say, maybe today, God, because I want to use my mind. I want to love you, God, with my mind. I want to love you, God, with my imagination, and I want to imagine what that's going to be like because it will change what I do today. It will change what I spend or not spend today. It will change what I say or not say today. It makes a difference. Therefore, we are told in Colossians 3 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. God said, engage your mind. I want you to engage. It. I want you to go full throttle. I want you to allow me to infuse myself into your mind. We can't stop there because our spiritual life is not just about imagination. It's not about just sitting around dreaming. But there are times when God calls us to larger things to dream. Whether it was Abraham, Moses, Daniel, they were all given pictures beyond themselves. But then what happens after that, and it's where we start this conversation, imagination must be followed by faith. See, imagination and faith are closely intertwined. Let me explain. God called men and women to, to dream bigger than themselves to evoke their imagination. But imagination, left in, just to itself, is just a dream. What we have to do when God says, I am coming back in the clouds, I'm coming back with the, the, with the army of God, the trumpets will be blare, and you read it in, in, in the book of Revelation. Then we have to apply the certainty of faith to say, God, it's not just a dream, it's a reality. Watch what happens in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. Now faith is being, say it with me, sure of what we hope for, and say it with me, certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. In other words, God painted a picture for them and they said, okay, God, Because this came from you, I'm going to believe that it is certain. I'm going to believe that it is sure. And the dream, the the, the evoking of the imagination, the picture that God was trying to give, must be followed by faith. Otherwise, it is worth nothing. Now, you may say, hey, can you break that down? Let's look at a few people. Let's remember Abraham. Abraham was minding his own business. He had just received his AARP card. He was beyond the capacity of, of giving uh, children, uh, creating children, producing children. Uh, we, most of us know the story. And God came along and said, you will be the father of many nations. You might remember that Abraham said, okay, then I'll, I'll pick someone else in the line. He, he couldn't believe. He had locked himself in to a, a limit of what God could do. So God said, okay, I can see that I'm going to have to evoke uh, uh, Abraham's imagination. So in Genesis chapter 15, as it's recorded, God goes to Abraham's tent. He rings the doorbell. Don't even know if you know they had doorbells back then uh, on tents. He rings the, tent, uh, the doorbells uh, on Abraham's tent and says, Hey, boy, I need you to step outside for a second. I'm going to have to expand your thinking because you have limited yourself, but you've limited me, God would say. And watch what he does in chapter 15, verse 5. God took Abraham outside and he said, look up to the heavens and count the stars, indeed, if you can count them. God, kind of like tongue in cheek, God has a sense of humor. I'm super thankful of that, counting on it. And he, and he says, see if you can count them. He knew he couldn't count them. So can you imagine this, this, this elderly man standing outside in the evening And he's looking up, and back then, because, you know, there were no city lights, man, you could just see a gajillion stars. And God says, I want you to expand your thinking, that it's more. I can do more than you can ever imagine. I can take a life that's 20 years walking away from God, like Jim this morning, and say, I am still God, and no one is going to limit me. Look at the stars. I wonder how many of us God would say, you're only looking at one star, you're not even looking up that God is so much bigger than you think He is. Look up, Abraham said, uh, God said to Abraham, Look up and count the stars. And he says, uh, Then the Lord said, So shall your offspring be. And then, as we know the story, Abraham believed, and the, and the dream became a reality because he believed in the picture that God was painting. How about Moses? You know, Moses had shelved himself. He was a, you know, he was a murderer and a fugitive, uh, led one exciting life. Uh, I think Harrison Ford, didn't he do a movie about uh, that, The Fugitive? That's the life that Moses was leading. Forty years as a fugitive. Forty years of looking down, not looking up. Forty years of limiting himself. Four decades of no dreaming, no imagination, no faith. And like Lorna and Jim said today, God always compassionately pursues. There's not a single person in this room right now that God has given up on. No one. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what you're currently doing. God has not given up on you. You know how I know that? Because you're still breathing. The minute you die, that's it. But while you're still breathing, Christ Is pursuing you. You say, hey, I'm already a Christian. Christ is pursuing you. Christ is always saying, let's go deeper. Let's go wider. Why? For you? No, for kingdom purposes, to expand God's work on earth. So Moses is minding his own business. He's out on the back 40, doing his thing, doing, you know, uh, herding and shepherding and all that. And then God shows up in Genesis chapter or Exodus chapter 3. The Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. They were enslaved in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Now watch how God evokes Moses' imagination. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey." Now, here's Moses. He probably smells bad, quite frankly. He probably, you know, they didn't take showers every day out there in, in, you know, in the back 40 in the desert. Probably hadn't had a bath in, in maybe a month. He's walking around with, with sheep and cattle. And I'm not, I won't go any further, but, you know, you know, just use your imagination there on that one. He's probably dusty. He's probably dirty. And here comes God and says, hey, how about a land that's flowing with milk and honey? I mean, just think, what would, wouldn't you love a screenshot of, of Moses' mind, his imagination? I mean, you know, in my mind, you know what I'm thinking? But, you know, I'm, I'm not completely all together. But, but I, you know my screenshot? Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and some of you thought, gosh, I thought he was profound. But no, I no longer think that at all. Such a shallow man. No, I, I mean, when, he, when he's talking about, a land flowing with milk and honey. Like, what do you got, like, rivers of milk coming down and honey, like, you know, all I can see is a Ferris wheel with honey flipping out of it or something. I don't know. What, what did Moses think? But God was saying, I know where you live. I know where you've been. I know how you feel. I know how you've given up on yourself. And I know these people, they've been in slavery, and they see themselves as slaves. I see them as the children of God. And he says, I'm going to bring you to a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then God says, now, before you get carried away with all the positive, this land, by the way, is filled with a bunch of ites, Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites. That's too close to parasites, Hevites, Jebusites. Now take a screenshot of Moses' imagination. Ah! That's kind of probably what it looked like. So it went from like mountaintop to valley. So now go, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Now what do you think his imagination is doing? to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I've got one more picture for you because I want to establish a ground, a solid ground, to show you that God calls us to imagine greater than ourselves. Let's think about the disciples post-resurrection. You remember they were freaked out. They were afraid. They were thinking small. God said, hey, go into the world. You know where they went into? They didn't go into the world. They went into the closet. They locked themselves in a door. They locked themselves behind closed doors. Do you think God was looking down like, hey, way to go. That's awesome. We're really reaching the world now, you chickens. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. And then Jesus comes right before he ascends into heaven. He says these words, words. Just think about what they were imagining. Acts chapter 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He's talking to that. Just think about it like, What? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They're like, I'm cool with that. I grew up in this area. I know Jerusalem and Judea. Really, we're going to go that wide? Okay, well, not a stretch. And then Christ looks them right in the eyes and says, to the ends of the earth. Screenshot. What did that mean? The ends of the earth? Could Thomas have ever dreamed that he would bring the gospel to the nation of India? Do you know that when I came to Christ, Steve McCoy, 1982, May 2nd, 1982, that the man who led me to Christ was from Kerala, India, where Thomas first went? Do you think Thomas could see that Steve McCoy would come to Christ because someone in India whose grandfather, -grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather came to Christ because he shared the gospel, and I'm here in Sarasota, Florida, God has a really big imagination. Adonair Judson went to Burma when, when one of the greatest missionaries in the world said, don't go. They'll kill you. They'll imprison you. But he went anyway, and he shared the gospel. Do you know, sitting in this room, I'm not dramatizing this. This is a reality. Sitting in this room, there is a fifth-generation convert from Adoniram Judson sitting right in this room today. Do you think he had any idea that there would be someone sitting here in Sarasota, Florida that would come to Christ Who will come to Christ if Christ tarries? Who will come to Christ in the year 2387 because of your life? God said, come out of your tent. Imagine, imagine what I can do through your life. Imagine what can happen with this breakthrough team that goes to Pennsylvania that talks to one church. We were at Exponential just two weeks ago. There was a man who's worked with 500 churches in Texas. And he came up to us and said, uh, I, I was sitting in the back for the last, uh, up in the auditorium. Auditorium holds 5,000 people. He said, I've been sitting in the back, up on up the top of the balcony. A seasoned man. He looked about like 70 years old. See, you could tell he was a seasoned warrior for Christ. He said, I've been weeping for two days. God's changing my picture. Tuesday night, he says, I quit my job. He said, God, I'm asking you why you've put me here. He said, I heard what you guys were saying about one-to-one. And he said, I got my answer. I'm taking it back. You're thinking, us? No, it's not us. It's God through us. It's God taking something that seems so small to us and using it over and over and over. Listen, God doesn't look at you just like a human being God looks at you as a child of God who's calling you out of a tent to say imagine imagine what I could do imagine what I could do through you not maybe even in this generation and generations to come and we all think well that was Abraham and Moses no it's not don't slight God in you so I have to add to this message which is a very risky message by the way Someone told me after the first service, "Whoo, man, this, you're going out in, in, in some shaky territory, and I'll tell you why. Let me tell you what I'm not talking about today. I want to make sure we understand that we're on solid ground. Here's what I'm not talking about today. You dream up anything in your mind you want to, and God will do it for you, a.k.a. name it, claim it. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that you can dream up anything that you want. And because you dream it up and because you think it and then you say I believe it then God has to do that. So I think it's it behooves us to say let's let's do a litmus test on the on the painting of of God, the the evoking of our our vision and imagination of God because I think when you look at any story this is this is the the power of the Word of God. There's such consistency. This is why the Word of God is our anchor. So when you look at the pattern of how God called Abraham and how God called Daniel and how God called David and how God called Moses and how God called Peter, and you look and you see the same pattern in each of those, even though they've spanned over thousands of years you can glean from that pattern, learn from that pattern, and hold on to that pattern, and that's valuable or otherwise, as the Bible says, we will be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and craziness, to be honest with you. So here's a litmus test, uh, here a few things that we'll keep in mind as we go forward. When God calls, if it is truly a God vision, there are certain things that I find that take place in every single instance of God calling. When God called Abraham out of the tent, when God called Moses out of the back 40, when God called Daniel to to speak to the Babylonians, when God called Peter and said, you'll be fishers of men. And in every single case, here's what I see. Number one, it's unexpected. It's unexpected. That means they didn't see it coming. Gideon, mighty warrior. What? Had no idea. Let's pick the runt. His name is David. David. Nobody believed it, including him. Let's pick Moses. <laughs> Please pick somebody else. You don't see too many people in the scripture say, Pick me, I will go. It's God saying, I'm going to show up unexpectedly. Why do I say that? Because of this. When we sit around and say, Hey, I'm going to dream about what I want, then it becomes dangerous. You see, I believe fully in the movement and the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that the Holy Spirit is just as alive today as he was 2,000 years ago. There are some people that believe that the Spirit of God stopped moving at the end of the books of Acts. What I would have to say to that is, thank God you're wrong. Uh, (laughs) That's pretty blunt. Thank God that that people still get healed. Thank God that lives still get transformed. Thank God that he still moves through us in supernatural ways. That the God that was a God 2,000 years ago and 4,000 years ago is still the God of 2017. Having said that, here's what I would like to underscore. The movement of God cannot be manufactured. We've had people that have been physically healed. But what what begins to get under my skin is let, then let's have an every Tuesday night at seven o'clock healing service as if we're going to say, God, here's when you're going to start healing. Rather than, God, we are going to gather and put our hearts toward your heart and wait for your unexpected power to flow. We're not gonna dictate it. We're not gonna manufacture it. We're not gonna systematize it. We are going to wait for the unexpected move of God. Do you think when the disciples gathered in Acts chapter two that they knew that the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit was gonna come and rest all them? Of course they didn't. No one was hovering over the other person saying, hey, here's how you do it. Here's how you get it going. The Spirit of God came in like, wow, and like, whoa, didn't see where that was going. Didn't see that coming. That is the unexpected movement of God. God has put something on my heart. I'm not going to share it yet because I like to confirm it. But when God puts something on my heart, and yours too, I'm no special than you. I don't have any, you know, uh, any special powers as pastors. But when God lays something on my heart, I'm like, wow, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see it coming. It's how often you know that it wasn't your design. It was God's. Here's the second thing. When God moves, it's not only unexpected, but here's the deal. In every single case, when you look at Moses and you look at Abraham, you look at all these guys, someone else benefits, not just you and sometimes not even you. Somebody else benefits from the picture that God has given to you. In Acts chapter 26, we kind of see a post-game on Paul's life. You remember Paul? Paul, at the early part of his life, many of you know the story, Paul is one of the main writers of the New Testament, but Paul's conversion experience was really spectacular. He was a murderer. He, was, he would have been convicted of capital murder. He, was, he played right into it. And so in, in the, the story, you know, Paul's walking down the road, and all of a sudden, unexpectedly, God showed up, Christ showed up, a bright light in the whole nine yards, and, and he speaks to him and says, I'm going to change you. When That was in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is retelling the story, as he often did. And when he's retelling the story, watch what happens in Acts chapter 26, Verse 17. He's quoting from Jesus who was speaking to him in that conversion moment. And Jesus said to Paul, "I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant." You see, if it's our design, I don't know about you, but when I imagine things of my own design, somehow I'm the star of the show. On my own design, I usually don't envision, you know, small things, but great things for Steve. Not like, hey, you know what what I'm envisioning right now? Me being more of a servant. That's how you know it's God. It's for somebody else. Jesus says to Paul, I appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me, and I will show you. I am sending you to the Gentiles, those people that have been marginalized, like Jim and Lorna spoke about to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive the forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. You see, Paul, I'm calling you for other people. When God calls us, we, we're like, God, I'll do it, if it, because it's your picture for other people. Jim and I were talking. We're both introverts. And the idea, you know, Jim's going up here for two weeks. He's staying in someone else's house. You know what happens to an introvert when someone's, hey, why don't you come and stay with us? Here's what happens on the inside. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> like these trips they take, ski trips. Dude, I'm going to tell you right now, I will never go if I have to sleep in the same bed with another human being. As an introvert, I'll be like this all night. An introvert will ask, where am I sleeping? Where's the restroom? How much privacy do I have? That's just part of our makeup. Sorry, that's just just the way it rolls out. So when it comes to traveling, I'm never like, yippee! Last time we went to Cuba, it's like, hey, you're going to be sleeping outside, and you better get a a mosquito net. I am so looking forward to that. I'm such a camper. (laughs) I literally have to get on the plane and say to God, for others, God, for others. If it were for me, dude, I'd never get on, never get on the plane, never get on the train, man. I, we know it's from God when he says it's gonna be for someone else. Changes things. Genesis chapter 12, verse three. You remember Moses, or Abraham, God says, listen, here's the deal. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I'm, I'm calling you out, not for you, not to have a big family, but to bless all people. When God really calls us, first of all, it's unexpected. Second of all, it's always for other people. Here's the last and final thing. When it's truly a vision from God, are you ready? It's always difficult. See, of my own design, I want it to be great for me. And I'm American. I want it to be easy and comfortable. Exhilarating. I don't want to be sacrificed. Do you think it was great for Paul to get whipped 39 times on his back several times? You know, that wasn't in the brochure. I I wasn't envisioning. My imagination kind of quite didn't go there. Acts chapter 9, when Paul was converted... God is speaking to a man named Ananias about Paul, and he says, this man, Paul, I have chosen my instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Abraham, we look at those stories and we think they're so glorious. They're not. They're difficult. They're challenging. Hebrews chapter 11 looks back on the life of Abraham by faith. Abraham called to a place where he had to use his imagination he would receive as his inheritance obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going but by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country and for many years he didn't have a house he lived in tents like his son Isaac and like his grandson Jacob in other words their whole family gave it up for God Here's the litmus test to know if the vision is from God, if the picture is from God, it should be hard. You can't find a story. Gideon, Daniel, Moses, Abraham, Hosea, Isaiah, Ezekiel, you can't find a story where God called and it was easy. Over the last two, three months, I have been praying for our church with more passion than i ever prayed, God, help us to break the American propensity toward comfort. Help us to collectively dream because I truly believe that God is moving in a unique way and I don't say it just to say it in a sermon. God is beginning to open up doors in this, in the, inside these four walls in this city and in this country and beyond to do things more than we could ever imagine, but it will never be done if it's just a few solo commandos. We are saying, come on in. Let's get together and let's allow God to paint a picture for others unexpectedly, but we must be willing, God, collectively collectively to do hard things. Listen, if you don't do hard things for God, here's what happens to your faith. It gets boring. If we shut our eyes and said nobody's looking around and said, hey, how many people honestly before God are bored in their faith? I promise you there'd be a number of hands that went up. Because God doesn't call us to that. So here's my challenge as we start this conversation out. Roll up your sleeves, your spiritual sleeves. Pray with me that God will do more than we can ask or imagine. And say this dangerous prayer to God only if you're willing. Don't play around only if you're willing. God, even if it's hard, even if it's hard, count me in count me in. Because I don't know about you, I do not want to get to the end of my runway, and I played it easy. I don't. It's not the heart of God. So let's engage. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Let's pray. Father, we're always profoundly grateful, God, for allowing us to even participate in kingdom purposes. We understand, God, we use a fraction of our brain. But when it comes to a spiritual context, I'm sure, God, I'm sure of it, That most, if not all of us, think too small about what you could do through us. We have a million reasons why that is, God. But I think it's a reality for most, if not all of us. So today, we begin this journey together. And God, you know my heart. For this church and so many in this church, God to take the next step, ever how big or small that would be towards being together and helping change the world in which you've placed us. Forgive us, God, for our love of comfort. Forgive us. We're surrounded by it so much here in this country, sometimes it's hard to detect that malady. Forgive us, Father, for being safe. Forgive us, God, for being inside our tent rather than out looking up and counting the stars. So God, today, as we embark on this journey together, for those who are authentic enough and brave enough to say, God, I want to be part of this vision for others, would you use me unexpectedly, God, in ways that I can't see? And secondly, God, if it's hard, then count me in. Perhaps of those that, that, like me, God would pray, I don't want to run the rest of my race here easy. And so, Father, in this moment, it's kind of a sacred moment before you, God. We say, here I am, like so many have done through history. Here I am. Maybe that's a renewal. Time, maybe it's a first time. But God, here I am. And Father, as a pastor of this church, I'm going to pray that we participate together. This God, this thing, God, I beg you. I beg of you. Because together, God, there is no doubt and no measure as to what you could do through us because you have promised to answer us immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And for this reason and for kingdom purposes, God, this is why we pray today. In the name of Jesus, amen.